On January 19th, Brazilians were shocked by a Hollywood-esque prison break in the Paraguayan city of Pedro Juan Caballero. 75 inmates fled at the same time. Paraguayan authorities are still working out whether they escaped through a massive tunnel dug beneath the penitentiary or if it was just a diversion and the prisoners were allowed out of their cells after bribing dozens of guards and the warden. But the case drew attention of Brazilians for some other reasons. 1. Pedro Juan Caballero is located on the border between Brazil and Paraguay, and it is separated from the Brazilian city of Punta Porã by nothing more than a simple street. It is a key location for drug smuggling business. And two, most of the prisoners who fled are members of the PCC, or the first command of the capital, arguably the best organized and deadliest criminal group in Brazil and South America. This week, we will talk about how a group founded by just eight prisoners in a jail in rural Sao Paulo grew to become a multinational criminal enterprise. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. The PCC is uh, quite a misunderstood organization. This is Matthew Richmond, a visiting fellow at the Latin American and Caribbean Center of the London School of Economics. He holds a PhD in human geography from King's College and has studied the PCC. It's often uh, talked about as a drug cartel or a, or a, or a criminal faction terms that we're familiar with from other from other contexts. Uh, we may think of cartels being um, the, the examples from Colombia or Mexico being the famous ones of people like Pablo Escobar and El Chapo. The PCC is is quite different in important ways. It's not dependent on individuals. Uh, it's uh, it, it has important individuals. It has a, a leadership um, a kind of cast of leaders, um, but it operates as a as a kind of network where individuals are, are, are interchangeable or replaceable within, within the PCC structure. It can survive the imprisonment and death of important figures and continue to operate without serious, serious problems. And so that's been a, an important part of its growth. So to better understand the PCC, we have to rewind back to 1992 when Sao Paulo witnessed the most historical prison riot in the country. Ewan Marshall, hello. Hi, Gustavo. So, the PCC was created in 1993 as a response to the bloodiest episode in Brazilian penitentiary history. What happened? So, we need to go back to October 2nd, 1992, and a riot which broke out inside the Carandiru prison, which was located within the city of Sao Paulo. Uma rebelião no maior presídio da América Latina. And, you know, until today there's still some debate over what exactly did trigger the riot, but some accounts say that two inmates started a fight during a football match in the prison yard and that the brawl then quickly escalated into like a full-scale riot. So by 2pm, prisoners were burning mattresses and blocking the entrances to the cell blocks. 
State authorities then attempted to negotiate for about an hour, after which police troops stormed the prison. 30 minutes later, the riot had been quelled. Right, but if we're talking about this almost 30 years later, it's because it didn't end well. Yeah, I mean, quite the opposite, in fact. But, you know, bear with me. Because the initial police report said that only eight prisoners had been killed in, quote, confrontations with police officers, end quote. The Sao Paulo authorities were extremely opaque on the issue, probably because there was a municipal election being held the very next day. And if I recall, the press was not allowed to enter the prison until October the 5th, three days later. Yeah, exactly. And by then, the press had already been reporting that the number of deaths was in the dozens and maybe even in the triple digits. And what was the final death count? 111 dead and another 100 injured, all of them inmates. In just 30 minutes. Yeah, in just 30 minutes. And each of the 111 who were killed were shot an average of five times and not a single police agent lost his life. And further investigations say that 26 of the 111 were killed outside of their cells and many had bullet wounds that suggested they were professionally executed, as in there was no confrontation with the police. And the reporters who visited the prison, they talked about an incredible stench of rotting flesh and bleach which was being used by the gallon to literally wash the blood from the walls and the floor. Nesta cela, sete pessoas morreram. Tinha um pano aqui, eles abriram e enfiaram a metralhadora aqui e mataram todo mundo. This brutal prison massacre went on not only to become a symbol of São Paulo's police violence, but also of impunity in Brazil. Yeah, that's right, because... Over 27 years after the massacre now, not a single law enforcement agent has been put in jail. And, you know, 74 agents were actually convicted for murder and human rights violations with a combined sentence of nearly 700 years imprisonment, but their verdict was appealed and the agents never ended up serving any jail time whatsoever. And the Superior Court of Justice annulled the trial in 2018, bringing the case against them back to square one. And why is that? Well, the judge used a technicality, saying it would be illegal to convict the agents as no ballistics analysis was performed at the time, which meant that, you know, it's impossible to determine exactly which officer killed exactly which inmate, which would make prosecution a little bit tricky. Right. I mean, I kind of see the point here. The judges don't want to convict an agent without 100% certainty he killed someone, but by doing that, they're actually letting everyone off the hook. Yeah, exactly. And even worse than that is the fact that the commanding officer of this bloodbath was even elected for public office not that long afterwards. Yes, I remember that. Uh, for those who don't know, candidates in Brazil are identified by numbers in electronic voting machines. And police colonel Ubiratan Guimarães chose a number that ended with 111, which is a very nasty reference to the number of inmates that were murdered. Yeah, very nasty indeed. Uh, so, you know, in the aftermath of this massacre, prisoners in penitentiaries around Brazil realized that, you know, they needed to organize and fight back against this police cruelty. And in one prison in particular, just outside of Sao Paulo, a group of men banded together to form what would become South America's biggest criminal organization, as we mentioned earlier, the PCC. 
After the break, we discuss with two experts how the PCC works, what makes it so popular among inmates, and how its multi-headed hydra structure makes it a tough nut to crack for authorities. Hi, I am Paulo Sotero, director of the Brazil Institute at the Wilson Center, a renowned think tank based in Washington and a partner of the Brazilian Report. The Brazilian Report is a valuable partner of the Brazil Institute. The report's content, shared in our website, is well-researched, comprehensive and clearly presented. It deals with complex problems of public policy that challenges Brazil to add quality to its economy and society. Matthew Richmond, you mentioned that the PCC is not the kind of group foreigners can relate to the drug cartels they know in Mexico or Colombia. So how does the PCC operate? The important thing to understand about the PCC is that it it operates less as a, a, a kind of formal structure and more as a as a kind of ethos um, and a system for for collective action and 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 conflict resolution really. So the the original proposition of the founders of the PCC these were the original uh, handful of members who created the organization in 1993 uh, in the Taubaté prison in, in Sao Paulo, they're, they're, they, they, they created a, an actual statute, a, a formal kind of uh, document that would outline the, the ambitions of the organization, essentially going to war against the, against the prison system and, and, and the police, the, uh, the, 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 the disciplinary arm of the state, uh, who they felt mistreated them in the prison system. This was immediately following the the Karanjiru massacre in Sao Paulo. So the PCC ar arise out of these kind of conditions and they decide that the best way that they can uh, improve their, their, their situation is essentially to act kind of like a trade union and to, uh, to, to collectively pull together in order that they can kind of make demands on the state. And so they, they arise out of this, this kind of idea of, uh, of, 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 of creating unity amongst, amongst prisoners and amongst criminals. Perhaps more important than that aspect is the fact that they create certain mechanisms for, uh, for dealing with disputes among criminals. So in the prison system at this time, you have uh, big problems of, of, of uh, criminals murdering each other, of, of rape amongst inmates, and the PCC essentially kind of bans these kinds of, of behaviors. Uh, you're no longer allowed to kill without the permission of the PCC hierarchy. And there are systems created to kind of where that, that permission will be given. Um, and so that creates this kind of, uh, it kind of pacifies the criminal, criminal markets. And then what you see over time is the PCC expands first within the prison system, imposing this logic on all the, all the prisons in the state of Sao Paulo and then coming out into the streets and starting to impose it on the on the neighborhoods, the low income neighborhoods in the peripheries of Sao Paulo, where most of these uh, members come from. 
and they start to impose the same logic. So you're allowed to operate, you're allowed to sell drugs in these areas, but you have to follow the PCC rules. Um, and so this ethos, this logic of, of managing, uh, you know, potentially violent and, 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 and conflictual relationships between criminals turns it into an extremely effective organization for expanding. And so it's able to expand across the country. The, the, the metaphor that's, um, that I find quite useful is uh, one proposed by Gabriel Feltrin, who's a um, sociologist who, who works a lot on um, PCC and, and, and recently published a book um, called Irmongs, or Brothers, um, where he talks about the PCC being almost like a, uh, almost like the Freemasons. So it's kind of like a, 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 a secret society where uh, while in the, the kind of normal world, people may have different functions and different, different hierarchical positions within the PCC, they're all equal and they're all expected to follow the same rules and to, uh, and, and to observe the same, uh, the, the same codes of conduct. Gabriel Feltran, who Matthew mentioned, is a sociologist who has dedicated many years to studying the PCC, and he explains how the group grew to become a massive force inside and outside of the prison system. So the PCC grew inside the prisons. Between 93 and 2001, there was no discussion about that. PCC was considered not to exist by huge uh, part of uh, state, they didn't believe in a, in a, an organization that could be strong enough to to face the system. So after Kandiru massacre, the government decided to expand and to internalize in the countryside of the state of São Paulo a lot of prisons. So the state of São Paulo in '93 used to have about 30 prisons. Ten years after, it, it was about 100 prisons in very small cities, exactly during PCC expansion. So when the government decided to transfer a lot of PCC leaders for them, they were spreading PCC by the country. And so PCC was always instrumentalizing the, the, the government actions. In 2001, 29 prisons in the state of Sao Paulo uh, went to a riot at the same time. So at that moment, 2001, it was impossible to ignore that PCC was a strong force and a normative force inside prisons in Sao Paulo state. But we didn't know how far it could, it could go. Public policies related to mass incarceration helped PCC and supported PCC to uh, grow as an unexpected effect. PCC was gaining legitimacy, basically avoiding the sexual harassment and the sexual abuse inside the prisons, saying, no, it's not the, the law of the strongest here anymore. When we are here, it's our law and it's a fair law. And the second thing, they did was uh, to regulate the markets, especially drug markets, but not only. Also the, 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 the market of payments for the, the, the public officers, the policemen, 
doing so, they they regulated this those illegal markets. It produces predictability. It produces order, and it's good for everyone. So, in, instead of occupying militarily uh, other criminals' territories, provoking war, they did kind of politics of uh, neighborhood. We hear a lot that the PCC holds a sort of monopoly over drug trafficking in Sao Paulo and that this would be the reason behind Sao Paulo's low murder rates, especially compared to Rio's. Is this accurate? Yes, I think the, the in terms of the their, their hegemony within the within the kind of the, the criminal world, um, it's this process uh, that I've described of, of the of the PCC essentially arriving in um, into these markets and imposing their rules on. And for those who were uh, already operating in these markets, there was a decision to make. Do we submit to the PCC rules and continue to make money, but perhaps lose our kind of some degree of kind of freedom of action? Or do we go to war with the PCC and, and, and probably end up dead? And that was a decision that uh, local drug traffickers in, in, uh, in Sao Paulo's peripheries or, or bank robbery or, or car theft had to make a decision about what they would do and and there was a period in the in the early 2000s where you see a huge decline in the in the murder rate in Sao Paulo i mean i wouldn't uh, want to go as far as to say that the state is kind of completely kind of held to ransom by the pcc the state has its own kind of ability to to act and to and to undermine the pcc's activities the problem is that the ways in which the state has sought to combat organized crime in Sao Paulo has basically had the kind of opposite effect. Dr. Feltran? So people from PCC have no monopoly at all. This is a strong and transnational and huge market. And PCC has no economic monopoly. But the PCC order is organizing the drug trafficking and a lot of other crimes in Sao Paulo for sure. So when PCC was this hegemony, the, the possibility of mediating the, the, the conflicts inside the favelas allowed PCC to break the chain of revenge after a homicide. For example, if someone kills my brother, I was due to kill this person. After PCC, if someone kills my brother, I ask PCC for a debate, for a tribunal. So this rupture made uh, homicide rates decline a lot inside Sao Paulo's uh, favelas especially. Those were the, the, the most important part of the homicides. The PCC has been linked to international mafias. Are those reports accurate? What is the PCC's international presence? So my understanding is that the PCC essentially operates primarily in the domestic market in Brazil as a, as an important kind of intermediary in the in the international drug trade. So the drugs are produced in the Andean region. Um, in the Brazilian case, most of the cocaine comes from Bolivia, although it's also produced in, in Colombia and Peru. And Brazil is is one of the world's largest markets, uh, primarily in the in the major urban centers. So the PCC 
mainly operated in terms of kind of buying the processed coca paste and then selling it in, in, in Sao Paulo and also distributing it to other drug trafficking factions operating in other, in other cities and regions of Brazil. My understanding is that, that the PCC is now trying to kind of move both up and down the, the production cycle. So it's, it's, it's wanting to um, uh, be involved at the very beginning of the, of, the, of the chain, the production of coca in, in Bolivia. Um, in the cross-border transport, and then eventually in the export to to um, more lucrative markets, um, and so there's a much bigger markup in 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 terms of the value of the product if they can make that um, uh, make make that transition and grow into these um, you know to, to occupying the, the the full kind of supply chain. So. Uh, that seems to be what's driving, um, what's driven a, 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 an increase in violence in, um, between factions in, um, in various parts of the country, um, though not in, in, in Sao Paulo and Rio, the big, the big markets, more in, in the frontier areas and the key transport routes. So these are the, the, the border with, with Paraguay, which is the, the through route for, from Bolivia to Brazil, um, and in the Amazon region where a lot of drugs uh, is, uh, are transported along, along the river routes. The PCC started with political goals of defending prisoners' rights. Do they engage in institutional politics, like maybe financing candidates, like the way militia groups uh, do in Rio de Janeiro? They have an ideology that is peace, freedom, liberty, justice, and equality. For them, they are not only doing crimes, they are part of a movement against inequality or against oppression. And they are not doing this movement as, a tra as traditional social movements do. I mean, they are not uh, constructing their movements in political terms, in political arenas. They are constructing their movements in criminal arenas and especially in criminal markets. So they don't want to go to politics, like traditional politics. They consider, they consider themselves as, as entrepreneurs. So they say, who rules this world? Like entrepreneurs, businessmen. So we are trying to go by business, not by the government or the social movement. They are not interested in be part of the public debate or public discussions on issues. They wanted to be part of the, 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 the higher positions in markets. That's the, their strategy. Many experts say that drug busts are not the way to fight the PCC and that instead the feds should be going after their money. How sophisticated is their money laundering structure? Of course, they have money laundering machines all over the world. It's, it's huge money. We, we were studying the car theft markets. We just published a, a, a special issue on the Journal of Illicit Economies and Development, GIED, and uh, discussing exactly how these illicit markets uh, are related to development. So there's a lot of money in all over the world, flows of illegal money go into to tax paradises and etc in different scales 
So if a guy earns, I don't know, $300 dealing drugs and he goes to a shopping mall and he buys things, he is at the same time by consumption transforming illegal money into legal uh, money currency. So he will, uh, he will at that time produce work, taxes and etc. with money that comes from uh, illegal origin. So it's, it's a global problem. And of course, PCC is one of the, the, the organizations that are trying to launder illegal money to make more money and to make more profit. Before I let you go, how is the PCC connected to the prison riots that have happened in recent years and the recent prison breaks we saw both in Acre and in Paraguay? People from PCC, they consider themselves as people struggling for freedom. So if they have an opportunity to pay someone to have freedom from the prisons, they will do it. If they can like dig a tunnel to escape from the prison, they will do it as other prisoners. The difference is that they have a lot of money and a lot of power to uh, do this in, an, in a very organized network. We are hearing about a mass prison escape in Paraguay. 75 prisoners escaped, many belonging to Brazil's largest organized criminal gang. A tunnel, fully illuminated, lined with sandbags, was discovered in the prison, but authorities warned it could have been a diversion to cover up the real operation. Authorities believe some of the suspects were able to walk freely through the main gate. The country's interior minister suspects that the prison officials were involved. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edits the final script. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining Brazil. It takes only a second, but it is really important for us. And the best way to support Explaining Brazil is to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic company behind this podcast. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance, and society. We've also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what is going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now for a free trial and take a look at our content for seven days. And it's really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week. Thank you.